So we're in Nehemiah chapter 2. This is week 3 of a four-week series. Um, so far, we have watched Nehemiah get burdened about the need for the repair of the walls and the gates in Jerusalem. Uh, it's where he is uh, from. It's where his, his country is located. And the, the idea here is that Nehemiah is traveling from a very safe, posh job a long distance to Jerusalem. He goes and he rallies the people and the leaders, and they come and they do this great work. So the first blank on your handouts is Nehemiah's the story of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and the story of the... Good morning, Albert. Nice of you to make it this morning. Great timing, bro. Uh, it's also the story of the restoring of a people from ruin and despair. So the wall is this kind of a big metaphor for the spiritual state of the people, and it's, as it's in disrepair, they kind of are too. And as it gets rebuilt, there's a, a sense of safety and security and that things are going to get better. So before we get into Nehemiah 2.17, that's where we're going to start today, um, Nehemiah has heard about the problem. He's come to Jerusalem. Immediately, as soon as he gets into Jerusalem, what's he experience? Anybody remember? Immediately after he gets into Jerusalem, he experiences these obstacles that pop up right in front of him. And they have names, right? What are their names? Anybody remember their names? Sanballat and... Tobiah, yes. So there's also some other people listening, though, and this is in verse 17. He says, Then I, this is Nehemiah talking, said to them, this is everybody that's around, these, from the context, these are the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and anybody else who was just standing around. He said, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. I'm going to come back and talk about each one of these phrases in just a second. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Now, that first word there, come. This is the idea. Uh, Sam, can you help me for a second? Come here for just a second. So what Sam did is not the idea of this word. Okay? Go have a seat again. <clears throat> I'll show you what this is. This is not, I am over here, you as the the people that will do the work come to where I am. This is the idea of the word. When Nehemiah says, come with me, he means, I have come to where you are, and we are going to do this thing together. Now, do you see the difference? You see the difference. This is servant leadership. Thank you. Appreciate that. He did a great job, didn't he? Good job, Sam. Thank you very much. This is servant leadership. This is not just me telling you what to do. This is me participating in the work with you. So when we talk about, you know, the title of today's lesson is participating in a great work. This is not just the people participating. This is the leadership participating in this work as well. So it's something I want to make sure we, we saw here. So come and let us. So this is a request for unity, right? Because we are going to do this thing. Um, I was... When did we first do Purpose Driven Life here at Stewart Heights, the, Stewart Heights, the first time? What, you were present with, pregnant with Caleb, so that have been 04? He was born in 04, so it was 03. Well, you were pregnant in 04 as well if he was born in 04, right? All right, so it was 03. Perfect. We've established that I can't do math, and, and I don't know when my kids were born. That's what we've established right now. So, All right, so back in early 2000s, uh, we went through the purpose-driven life, and I remember reading the book and being very frustrated with a couple of things, one of which was all the different translations that the guy used. I'd never experienced any book that quoted that many different versions, and it just it made my head hurt. It was just a lot. And then we got to this page, 
And he said, I am not the body of Christ. And I thought, hang on just a sec. That's really profound, and, I, and I'm missing it here. Because I had viewed myself as I'm a little microcosm, and I can go do this thing, and I don't need any people's help. I can go do this work. And I can come over here, and I can do this work. And I can come over here. And, and granted, there are very, very small things that individuals operating inside the body can do. But I am not the body of Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. Okay? We, this afternoon, are about to go do something really cool and stuff. 100,000 Easter eggs with candy. You can just like, oh my gosh, it's ridiculous, right? But we can do that. You know how long it would take one person to do that? Yeah, you'd get tired before you finish that job, right? I mean, it just, that would, that's awful. Right? So he says, come and let us build. So, so come, we're going to do this thing together. We are partnering in this, and we have a very specific goal. Okay? Does this make sense? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach or an object of scorn because there were other people that were laughing at them. Verse 18, And I told them of the hand of my God which had been, upon, which had been good upon me. So here's a line for you in, in your notes. Nehemiah used what God had done to encourage the people to do what God wanted done. He used the past to help the present, to paint the picture for the future. Okay? You go, well, duh, yes. And if you've ever read through Psalms, have you ever read through Psalms? Many of the Psalms are really nothing more than little history lessons of God did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this. And you're going, so that's a song? Yes, because it's calling us to remember what God has done to encourage and strengthen us in what God is doing right now. So if you ever come to a period where you go, I'm kind of down, I'm discouraged, recall what God has done. This is a big way to remember and to go back to what God has done. So he said, I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they, these are the people and the officials, said, let us... So they were unified, right? And, and I got to thinking here, you know, many times great works are never accomplished because unity never occurs, right? I mean, can, have any of you ever had a dream that there's this thing that I want to go do and I'm really passionate, but I need hands and feet and mouths and ears and hearts to do the work and I just, there's no unity. Anybody ever experienced that? Yeah, let us. So they caught this vision for unity, and that's what they led with. They led with this vision of unity, which I love. I think it's brilliant. Let us rise up. So they were moving. They were moving. So what happens if nobody moves into the gymnasium after the morning service is over today? Justin's got a long week. That's what it, no. Um, no, it, it, the work doesn't get done, right? They have to be moved. We have to be active. Um, let us rise up and build. So they were focused. They were focused. So they were unified, they were moving, and they were focused. Then they set or strengthened or made rigid or firm their hands to do this good work. Barry, can you help me out for a sec? All right, hop up. I'm going to shake hands with Barry. Barry's got a good, firm handshake, right? And he didn't want to let go. Now let go. It's uncomfortable. Okay. 
You've done that before, right? And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to let go. And you let go, and like, oh, no, we've got to go back, don't we? Okay, there we are. Um, have you ever shaken hands with somebody and, uh, and you get the, oh, gosh, it just, I can't even, I know I'm going to do it, and it's just nasty, right? They strengthened their hands. Um, I want you to listen very carefully. You hear that? You hear the popping? It's not good, actually. Um, I play, that's an old foosball injury, and that's not a joke, actually. <laughs> when I, yes, there you go. We're getting transparent today. When I was in college, uh, there was not a lot of uh, fun things to do on the campus of Bob Jones University, okay? Stand and salute or, like, recite the creed or something, I don't know. But they had foosball tables, all right? And we wore those stupid things out. My roommate was a phenomenal foosball player. He could take, you know, we would get, uh, you know, just normal foosball. He would have to change foosballs after every four or five games because it would be warped because he would hit the ball so hard. And the reason he could do that, you know those hand exercise deals where it's got the little curl and you squeeze on them? He would get the most difficult ones that he could, and in a week, they would be broken. He strengthened his hands. This is more than just this, because I hear this preached all the time, and I go, it's not just this mental commitment. It's physical preparation to do the work, right? I guarantee you, after you stuff four or 500 Easter eggs, your hands today are going to be tired, right? It's like, okay. This was fun 20 minutes ago, but now it's just kind of, I'm in the monotony, okay. I need to sing a song and keep this going. But this was physical work. They strengthened their hands. They got ready to do the work. You know why? What were they going to be doing? What was the work? What was the work? They were building a wall. Have you, to protect Jerusalem, absolutely. The full and complete answer. I love it. Have any, has anybody ever built a wall? Like a, like stonemasonry type stuff? Zeke? It was a small wall. That was awesome. That was awesome. Is it easy? No. It looks easy, doesn't it? You're like, yeah, you just slap this stuff on and put it on there and strip it off and next. And slap it on and put it on there. And no, that is not how that works. Um, I helped my dad one time with some brickwork uh, about, like, about how much you got done. We got about one row that was crooked and not level, and he's a math guy, and I'm a math guy, and we're thinking, this is pretty straightforward, right? You have to know what you're doing. Now, Dave Barber, you raised your hand also. Have you ever done brickwork? And I bet you know what you're doing, don't you? Yes. He can, he's like, yes, Jim, I actually am skilled at some things, so that's, uh, now you can break the bricks too, right? We had the Sunday school class where we had the pictures. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good, right? So. So the first time you ever tried, you were great at this, right? No. What did the wall look like the first time? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It just. <laughs> All right. You get to redeem yourself. You get to redeem yourself. All right. How do you know what my wall looked like? <laughs> I said it was a small. He said it was small, right? Mine turned out great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Absolutely. So the second time, though, the second time was perfect, right? Well, I, I was working with someone else that was showing me what to do and so forth. So, so, so hang on, hang on, hang on. So you had to have somebody that you learned from that already had strong hands. Oh, absolutely. Okay, cool. So, so do we get this? Do we get this? You see where I'm going? 
The, the idea is not, oh, I'll wake up one day and all of Christianity will feel very comfortable and I'll be strong enough to do it and it'll be great. No, we partner with people who have built walls before. We work with them. That's why there's an us, not a me. This is about us, okay? They set their hands to do this good work. Um, I was in Knoxville a couple weeks ago and for a, uh, a leadership training event at my company. And uh, Vicki Higgins, everybody, anybody ever heard of Vicki Higgins? She's a motivational speaker and she goes around the world and does all kinds of different stuff. Well, she was telling a story about her dad, Haddon, and um, she was talking about how his life had been shaped and molded and done different things. And she, she had a little section, you know, this is all business professionals. She had a little section in there about how important a good, firm handshake is because it's a good first impression and people remember, you know, oh, here we go, right? So, so she's talking about her dad, Haddon, and I'm like, Haddon? The only Haddon I know is Haddon Robinson. Right? I mean, you ever heard of Haddon Robinson? Yes, Darla? He, Haddon Robinson's known for preaching. Yes, good answer, right? We're in church, good guess. Right? Um, he wrote a book called uh, Biblical Preaching, actually. Uh, the, the concept there is that the text guides the message and that there is one big idea for each sermon, as opposed to, and you guys have all uh, heard uh, or you feel kind of like, I don't know where we're going when you sit under a shotgun sermon, where there's 47 different things that we're covering. It's kind of a machine gun approach. Just We probably covered everybody, right? As opposed to a rifle type approach, which what would be Haddon Robinson would propose that you should do, is keep it on one big idea. So she's going through and she's talking about her dad, and I'm like, Haddon Robinson, it's only Haddon that I know. And then she says, and my dad's Haddon Robinson. And, you know, this is a group of uh, government public officials that are uh, in leadership positions. And maybe a hundred of us in the room. I was the only one that got really excited that that was Haddon Robinson. Okay? So she signs books afterward, and she, I come up to her and I said, I just want to tell you, if, if you could please let your dad know that um, I read and studied biblical preaching uh, when I was in college. Uh, I actually had to write a paper on it. Um, totally radically focused and aligned the way in which I teach and have taught for the past, you know, 15 years. Just please tell him thank you. And she stands up and starts to cry, and she said, there's usually one of you in every audience. And I was like, how cool is that? And I, and I thought, every audience, your job is to travel around the world and to teach this. And it was just this very encouraging moment for me because we're going to focus on this one thing, right? And that's what Nehemiah was brilliant at. Um, I read quotes by Rick Warren, and he said, the hardest thing in the world is to make something simple. It's the hardest thing in the world is to make something simple. And if you, if you think that that's not right, think about writing directions. Have you ever read directions that weren't like, did the person who wrote how to do this actually ever do this? Because I don't think they did, right? Um, last year when we got the idea to do the, uh, the egg stuffing parties, uh, I thought we need directions on this, right? Because there's going to be questions that people have. And I got people laughing at me and making jokes. What do you mean directions? You don't need directions. You open the egg, you put candy in, you close the egg. It, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> 
I would never name my sources, but yes. Um, so we started the egg stuffing, hands went up. I have a question. Yes, the answer to that is on your directions. Directions, yes, there's directions. Oh, it is, isn't it? Okay, great. Even the simple stuff you have to be directed at. But making something simple is incredibly difficult. So Nehemiah had four months to pray about it, probably a month to travel and think about it, and now he's standing in front of the people, and what does he ask them to do? To rise up and build. Very crystal clear directions. And those of you with kids know that the simpler you can make the directions, the more likely that a positive outcome will result, right? Um, I find myself sometimes trying to be too descriptive on directions to the kids, and I finish and I go, I'm not sure I could have followed that, and I'm pretty sure you can't. So let's start again. You know, you get that, that crazy look. So, all right, back to verse 19. They set their hands to do this good work. Um, actually, we'll back up just a second. Um, what would have happened if the people had tried to do this work without any leadership in place? Let's brainstorm for a sec. It, maybe everybody would have tried to lead, right? They build their version of all. Maybe no consistency. Maybe the gates wouldn't have lined up with the wall. Like, oh, I built the gate too big. Maybe there'd be no gates, right? Maybe everybody wanted to build the wall because they lived in the walls, right? What else? When would we start? When would we finish? Who would guard us while we're building? Who would build while we're guarding? Um, how long is it going to take? Do we have a plan? Do we have a schedule? What about reinforcements? What about supplies? What about the logistics of moving the supplies to where they need to be so they can be used at the right time? What about taking away the waste? What about feeding the employees? What about get, making sure they have plenty to drink? What about watching their kids while they do the work? What the directions are on the table, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Do you see how it's very, very crystal clear that everybody can get aligned around, let's rebuild the wall? But there's a lot of detail that Nehemiah did not focus on. Um, one of the best examples of this that I love is uh, John Kennedy, John F. Kennedy. He, if, I think it was 19, uh, what year did he stand up and say, we're going to go to the moon? Anybody remember? 61. He said, uh, by the end of this decade, we will put a man on the moon. So from a technical perspective, that was still impossible right then. They did not have the scientific know-how to do that. It was impossible. But don't ever confuse decision-making with problem-solving. See, Kennedy made a decision that we are going to go do this thing. And he left it up to people that could figure it out to go do the problem solving. See, Nehemiah walked into Jerusalem and his mind was made up. He was going to rebuild the wall. And we'll figure it out and we'll put all the little pieces together when we get there, but don't ever confuse decision making with problem solving. And in my life, the beautiful things that God has laid on my heart to be passionate about have always been around decision making. It's not around how do we tactically solve the problem. We'll figure this out. God will provide the details on this. 
the, the decision making is where the burden comes in. It's where your heart is broken over a thing, where you are committed to finish. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. So, um, here's a quote from David Guzik. He said, We can just imagine the smile on God's face as he looked down from heaven and saw the people of God working together in one accord with one heart and with one mind. God will put us into situations where we must work together and to learn to lead, learn how to follow, and learn how to work together with one heart and one mind. Has God ever put you in a situation where you had to learn how to work together with someone? There's a ring on your body somewhere, right? Yeah. But it's no, not with you it's not. From your perspective it is, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean this is marriage 101, you know. This is how to how to live with someone without uh, shooting them yeah I guess I mean there's a lot of different ways you could go do this right um, but yeah but again we go to the decision making versus the problem solving when I stood in uh, Gatlinburg Tennessee and looked across at you and said I do I had no clue what the next few years were in for right none we have, we're idiots we're absolutely idiots when we stand there right because we think oh we got this all figured out everything's gonna be great it's gonna be awful on certain days it's gonna be hard right decision-making, problem-solving. So, has everybody day been easy? No, this morning wasn't easy, was it? <laughs> Thank you. <That's> awesome. <laughs> I got half of one morning right. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Woo! I'll take it. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> verse 19. Here we go. What's verse 19 start with? But he's riding this high. He comes in. He's ready to go. The people have a mind to do the work. They're strengthening their hands. But um, opposition is one of the few constants in the universe. It is a constant. Um, I, from the moment that Lucifer died in heaven that I will be like God, there has been opposition in the universe. And there will be opposition in the universe for the rest of whatever time looks like after time is different, okay? There will always be, because there will be people in hell for eternity that are still opposed to the work and the will and the way of God, forever. Opposition is a constant in the universe. So when we come upon it, and when we are surprised at it, we shouldn't be surprised at it, we should expect it. Right? Doesn't make it easier, but it's a constant in the universe. Verse 19, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and, oh, who? Geshem, who's Geshem? Anybody know what his name means? He's got a great name. It means rain. Oh, is it in your notes? Oh, okay. Yeah. I can't remember. Sometimes I put him in there. Um, Geshem the Arab. So he's got Horonites against him, Ammonites against him, and Arabs against him. How many did he have a few verses before? Two. So not only is the opposition still present, it is growing. And da -da -da, they're going to try to rain on this parade. Next, okay. Um, they laughed at us and despised at us and said, what is this thing that you are doing or making? Will you rebel against the king? Ooh, so they're playing the patriotism card here? That's not patriotic. 
I don't care if it's patriotic. God put a decision in my heart, and by George, we're going to go do this thing. And if God puts a decision in our hearts or shows something that's clear in his word that is anti-American, then too bad America. Now, that'll get me thrown out and probably stoned in most Baptist churches, but too bad. Okay? It, it is what it is. My allegiance to God far outweighs my allegiance to this country. I love America. I think America's great. I am so glad that I got to be born here and experience all this. But heaven is awaiting, and it is far better, guys. It is far better. And I don't want to muddy my loyalties now. So uh, Ray Steadman says, It is the opposition that makes the players dig in and fight through. Think about football here, right? <laughs> You dig in and you dig deep and you, you hit somebody hard. And why'd you hit them hard? Well, because they're there, right? But if there was no opposition, there'd be no hard hit. There'd be no chance to dig deep and find out what you are really made of. Right? These are the times that we remember. Um, Theodore Roosevelt has a great speech here. I, I, this is one of my favorite things. My, my daughter is just totally enamored with Theodore Roosevelt. I'm so concerned she's going to grow up to be a raging liberal, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> You knew I had to go there. I can't leave a Roosevelt thing hanging out there, right? Okay. He, he gave this speech at the Sorbonne in, uh, in France. He said, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how, strong, how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, because there is not effort without error and shortcomings but who does actually strive to do the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows that in the end, the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. It's basically saying, do something big and stick with it right? This is so hard to do. So, verse 21, Nehemiah is not one to be uh, not given the last word. Nehemiah is a paragraph finishing kind of guy. He, he, will, he will finish the conversation. So, Nehemiah answered them and said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us or make us successful. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Now, if you're kind of wondering, you know, well, that sounds kind of strong, but couldn't they just move somewhere else? All right. So in the Old Testament, there's these massive portions of Scripture that are just names, right? They're there for a reason. It's land rights. It's who's whose daddy, right? Because who your daddy is determines how much land and where that land is that you get to live on. So if you say you don't have a right here, that means you have no home here. You have no place in our culture. You have no place in our country. You are no longer in our family. You have to leave. You might basically tell them you don't belong. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Imagine somebody saying you can no longer live in America. Wow. That's kind of harsh. That's what he's saying here. You don't get to live here. So, what's the point? Well, I think there's several. Number one, be encouraged by what God has done and remind others. You will find people that need to be reminded about what God has done in the past. 
and you must be committed to reminding them of that. Opposition will be relentless, and it will grow, and it will grow, and it will grow, and it will grow. Hell is getting bigger every single day. It will grow, and it will grow, and it will grow. And join together to do the great work. So what do I do with that? Remember that br- the blanks? Remember the blanks? Yes? Tell others about your past positive experiences with EAC. Yes. Easter Coolidge. Here we go. Number two, encourage others that are facing opposition as we get closer to EAC. Um, we let Bree <laughs> Fryer down this week. Um, we sent notes uh, posted on Facebook, um, emails, asked for help. She had one person, thank you, David Reed, um, kudos, that reached out to her this week to offer help. She is in a frustrated place this morning. So what we're going to do, uh, when we finish in here, those of you that are not going to choir or in serving the uh, music section, uh, the guys are going to help set up in the gymnasium, and the ladies are going to love on and help Bree with whatever she needs. Okay, so we are excused from the morning worship service to go do this work today. All right, we swung and we missed. And when we swing and we miss, we're going to swing again. Because the cool thing is, we get another shot. All right, so Winston Churchill, I love this quote never, never, never give up. Anybody know when he said that? It was the when? The Battle of Britain. How did the Battle of Britain go? The Germans started bombing them, right? Was it going well when he said this? No. Did it get immediately better? Did it get worse? Okay. It got worse. We think about these great quotes from history and we go, oh, things got immediately better. No. Their butts got bombed worse. More frequently. More houses got torn down. More people died. More. It got worse. But they didn't give up, did they? Who won that war? The Allies won that war, right? Yeah. Imagine that. 